Okay. <laughs> All right, I got to position myself where I can see the clock. All right, Daniel chapter 9, we're going to just jump right into it because we have a cookout to get to. And this is what I would encourage you to do at the cookout. Uh, the best stories are probably going to be told by Jonas. So I'm setting you up, Jonas. Uh, you know, think of your best story and give it to us there uh, sometime during that, during that cookout. Okay, Daniel chapter 9. Here it is. All right, so, so many of us, especially here in the West, pay an awful lot of attention uh, to the latter part of Daniel chapter 9. If you go down around verse 24 there, you probably will have a heading uh, in your Bible that says something like the 70 weeks or the 77s or, or something like that. Uh, man, we are just fascinated with that stuff. We love to focus on creating some kind of a timeline out of these 70 weeks uh, because we're just eschatological math nerds. Okay, we like that stuff. Us Westerners, we, we don't like ambiguity, all right? We like everything to be concrete. We want the facts given to us straight. We want things in order. Uh, we want to know stuff. And we forget that the Old Testament and the New Testament together were not written by Westerners. They don't think like we think. Uh, they don't communicate the way that we communicate. So quite often what we end up doing is some kind of weird yoga to scripture you know we downward dog this stuff to the point where well, we really overstretched it just a little bit and sometimes we focus so heavily on on eschatology that that we forget what God is really saying to us okay so I think I have a slide here man that is I'm gonna fall off the stage yeah see that there it is there are four interpretations to uh, Daniel 70 weeks can you read it Good. I'm glad you can't read it because it would just confuse you, all right? And here's the thing, because what we do is we make like four or five of these timelines, and then we go, well, this one's right and those are wrong. And no one has the audacity to say, did you ever stop to think that they're probably all wrong? Okay? But as Westerners, we don't like that, okay? So I'm, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to just jump right off of that. Here's my timeline, okay? Here, here's, here's how I view eschatology, the end times. God promised us a Savior. He came to us. He died and rose again and then ascended back to his original glory that he had as God. He promised to us that he would come back. He said that before he would come back that things would get a little bit nasty, they'd get a little bit wicked, but when that's happening, that means that he's posed, poised and he is ready to go and he is on his way. But he says that it's going to take a period of time and I think it fits to look at Daniel and to remember that Daniel uses a lot of numbers, especially around seven, because seven is this sense of completeness. And just as it took Nebuchadnezzar a period of sevens to be completely humbled, to be, to be a man who, who learned that it, you know, God was really the one who mattered and not himself, um, it, it was a period of sevens. And when we get to this, we also learn that Jeremiah said, hey, guess what, Israel, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Another period of sevens until Israel would be complete in their repentance and ready to go back and to do what they were supposed to do as God's people. And then what Daniel's showing us here in the 70 weeks and what I think Jesus is saying too, with, you know, keeping it pretty vague, is that there's going to be this completeness of sevens when he comes back. 
meaning he's working on us, just like he worked on Nebuchadnezzar, just like he was working on Israel, to make us a people prepared and ready for the Lord's return. So he's on his way. You want a timeline? I'll give it to you from the scripture, Matthew 24, verse 14. Then this gospel, the good news of this kingdom, will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. That's the only timeline we should be worried about. Are we preaching the, kingdom, the, the gospel of this kingdom to all the nations so that Jesus can get back here? Trumpet toots, we scoot. Let's move into the next stage, because frankly, I'm a little tired of this one. Okay, that's it. That's it. I don't really give a flying rat's behind when the rapture's going to happen, if it's going to happen, how it's going to happen. The one thing that I think we can all agree on, Jesus is coming back. And we're supposed to be prepared for that. So I think Daniel chapter 9, rather than giving us a timeline, is giving us something else so that we are prepared for the end of those 70 weeks. So let's start with a great big what if. What if God really wants us to take away from this chapter instead of a timeline, instead of an end times view of all things, a right now heart change? What if when we read the Bible, that's what God wants us to take away from it? Not all this doctrinal, theological wizardry, but a right now heart change. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we prepare to dive in uh, to Daniel chapter 9, we are not going into the zero, uh, uh, zero level entry of the pool here. We are diving right in where it's deep. And God, I know that, uh, I know that things are important in, in every aspect of your word. I know that all scripture is breathed out by your Holy Spirit and given to us for, for instruction, for, for, for correction, for, for reproof, and for training in, in righteousness. And, and so understanding what these 70 weeks about is important. Uh, but Lord, we have to understand why you gave us this information. And sometimes we jump right over that. So Lord, help us to see that today. Help us as we explore the former part of chapter 9 in Daniel uh, to understand why the latter part is so important to us. So speak to us, God, like only you can, and help us to have an understanding that we did not have earlier, that it might change the way our hearts are working today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so basically here it is, chapter 9. Uh, let me read the first four verses of this to kind of set the stage for what's about to happen here. All right, and there's going to be a lot of big words, and I'm probably going to butcher them, but I don't care. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hasurus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realms of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, Perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, so he's talking about that historic 70-year period between the fall of Jerusalem and the, the release of Israel to go back uh, and to rebuild. 
in verse 3, as he was considering all these horrible things that have come upon his nation, Daniel then says in verse 3, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And fasting and sackcloth and ashes, that was the traditional Jewish uh, fashion for mourning and sorrow. So this is the attitude in which Daniel goes into this prayer. It's one of brokenness, one of sorrow. And then in verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Dot, dot, dot. I'm going to end right there for a second. Okay, that's, that's Daniel's opening to this prayer. Now, uh, very little is known about Daniel's life previous to the captivity. Okay, we, we, we know that he heard Jeremiah preach, he and his friends. We know that they probably packed their bags and got ready to go to uh, Babylon after hearing Jeremiah preach. There were probably some of the few that said, we probably better get ready for this sort of thing. But, but that's all we do know. We know that he was probably from nobility or royalty or something like that. We know that he was one of the choice youth. When you read through uh, Daniel, you'll see very clearly that he was a bold person. He was a, it was a beautiful person. He was a brilliant person, and he was a much beloved person, okay? And I think it's real easy for us to uh, suddenly get the idea that Daniel is somehow God's poster child of the perfect human being. Because when you read through Daniel, it's really hard to see things about Daniel like we see about Moses. You know, Moses gets angry, smacks rocks. All right? David, instead of going to war like he's supposed to, hangs out at home and sees, sees ladies that he's not supposed to see, and then he acts upon that, and it creates a whole great big mess. It ended up in murder and adultery and all these sort of things. See, we, we, we get that. We know, but then we get Daniel, and we just think, wow, this guy's just the paragon of Old Testament virtue, isn't he? No, I don't think so. I think there's another facet of Daniel that we often miss, and it, it hits us right smack in the face in, in Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 9 here as he's praying. And, and here's one of the things I notice about his prayer. He sandwiches the entire body of his prayer between the word confess. He starts by saying, and I was confessing. And then he ends by saying, hear us in our confession Oh God. I would agree that Daniel was probably a, a, an amazing man, but he definitely was not perfect. He definitely was not righteous in his own steam. <laughs> but what he was that made him such a, such a figure, such a standout in the Old Testament, was that he was a man with a repentant heart. And I, I don't mean a, a, a one time fits all repentance. Um, I, I think uh, Brian and Laura just really demonstrated it really well with Brian's uh, somewhat Australian English friend, uh, just based on the accent there. <laughs> Is that, you know, this guy, when he's off track, they say repent, and he, whoop, he changes, and he, and he does that. And, and I think that's what Daniel's pattern was in his entire life. 
we know that Daniel was a man of prayer, right? When you go back to Daniel chapter 2, and he finds out that, hey, we're all going to die as wise men because the, the king had a dream, and he's not telling us what the dream is, and we're supposed to tell him what the dream is, and then we're supposed to give an interpretation of that dream, and frankly, that's impossible for anybody to do that. So Daniel, instead of wigging out about it, says, we need to pray, boys. So he gets his guys together, and they pray, and they say, oh, Lord, demonstrate your immense power. Because that's how we pray. Power, God. We like power. Give us power. But that's not how Daniel prayed. If you go back and look at it carefully, it says, Lord, be merciful to us. Now, what does that tell you? When the first thing that comes out of a person's mouth is, Lord, be merciful to me, it kind of goes like this. Remember the blind guy that, that Jesus, you know, they yelled out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on us, sinners. See, when anybody's looking for mercy from God, they recognize something about themselves, and that's that they're not right with God. And that was exactly the attitude that Daniel possessed, I would probably say, all the time. We also know that Daniel had the habit of praying three times a day, right? Three times a day, Daniel would fall on his face before God in appeal for mercy. He does it again in this prayer. God full of compassion and mercy who keeps his steadfast love and promises to us. So I think it's very important that we understand that the get-go here, that, that the setup of Daniel chapter 9, before we even get into eschatology, is that we've got a man who has a repentant heart. Now he uses that word confess. When, when, when we think of the word confess, we're a little bit twisted about that because we watch lots of crime shows, right? At least my wife does. She's always watching true crime shows. I, I think the reason is she's setting up the perfect murder. So if I just never show up someday, you know, she finally found out the perfect plot. There it is. You know. <laughs> now, I know she's not doing that. My life insurance isn't that great. <laughs> so, but anyway, when we watch these crime shows, we get the idea of confession is, is some guy, the perpetrator, getting locked in a room with no windows and a bright light shining on him. And then we got the good cop and we got the bad cop. And I don't know which one Jamin ever was whenever he did that. I kind of think he could do both. Uh, but but they, they just badgered this guy until he finally just spills the beans. And then we start to think, well, that's how God wants a confession out of us. He's just going to kind of hold us away someplace and pressure us into that, that, that instance where we just have been badgered so long by the Holy Spirit that we can't take it anymore and say, all right, God, here it is. That is not the biblical view of confession. If that's the view you have of confession, then you've got the wrong idea. So Daniel uses this word. I hope the slide's up there. And there it is in Hebrew, okay? If it doesn't make sense to you, it's because as a Westerner, you're reading it from left to right. Jews went right to left. Okay, now, does that help? Okay, no, not unless you studied Hebrew or something like that. Okay, but, but here's the word. The word is just basically pronounced yada. Yada, okay? And, and let, me, let me give you a picture of what this word means. Okay, you ready for this? Okay, this is what it is. Side view. <laughs> what, what Daniel is saying here in the word confession is, Lord, I have something to give to you. I have something to offer up to you. This God is my sacrifice. And that's what it means 
to repent. That's what it means to confess. To just basically say to God, you were right all along, and I give up. There it is. That's repentance. And like I said, that's not a one-time thing. We know that it was secured for us at the cross, but in our daily walk with God, just like, just like Brian's friend, it's a mess. And we're all a mess. None of us are okay. The only one that's okay in this place is Jesus. And so every day, us unokay people should rise up in the morning and say, God, you were right. I was wrong. Take this. Take this brokenness that is mine so that we can get up and walk the way that we're supposed to walk. Okay, so that's the picture of Daniel. He did that every day on a regular basis. Okay? Now, I think it's very important that we've got to remember something about Jesus. Okay? Now more than ever, I think the church needs to realize that Jesus did not hang out with sin, sinners and tax gatherers. I almost said sin gatherers and tax earners. <laughs> okay. He did not hang out with tax gatherers and sinners to demonstrate to the world how tolerant he is, how inclusive he is, how cool Jesus is by the people that he hangs out with. That's not what he came to do. He came to people that we would have marked as the worst of sinners, not realizing that all of us are not okay and we're just as bad as all of them sitting down there. But Jesus is showing to us that if he can sit there and give this to them, he can give it to anybody. And what he was saying is he hung out with them for this, is I want to call you away from a life of self-destruction and separation from your loving Father. I want to call you away from that and call you to a life of wholeness and fellowship with God. So the kingdom of God has always been heralded by the words, repent. Okay? That the Old Testament prophets, repent. John the Baptist, repent. Oh, whoops, bug, sorry. Jesus, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Peter, when he finally gets his act whipped into shape by the Holy Spirit, it's a chance to preach. Repent. And again, that's all he's saying is, is give this to God. God, you were right all along and I was wrong. God, my life has been a broken mess and without you, it's self-destructive. Take that from me and give to me a life of wholeness and peace and purpose and love. Give me the life of Jesus Christ because frankly, it's way better than the life I've got, God. That's all repentance is. And if you don't think you need to do that every single day, then you don't know who Jesus is. Because he's the grandest, most marvelous, most wonderful person in the world. And the fact that he would die on a cross to take our death so that he would give us his life is probably one of the most amazing things that we would ever be able to experience. Now, the second thing I think we need to understand is this word sin. Too many of us think that the word sin is just a list of things that we're not supposed to do, right? I got my list. Got to be careful. Whoops, did that one today. Better repent. Okay, now, again, if that's what you think sin is, then you do not have a biblical idea of sin. Because sin is this. Sin is a condition. 
Jesus did not die on the cross to give you and me a whole new set of morals to live by. Jesus died on the cross to save us from the wrecked, messed up condition that we've been in ever since our forefathers, Adam and Eve. The condition that every single human being is born into. And you know what that means? That nobody here needs to re repent more than another person. We all need it exactly the same. Now, when I start looking at sin, it's just being a list of do's and don'ts. And it's real easy for me to say, well, Zach Crossman has way worse sins than I do. Yeah? I'm glad, thanks by the mercy of God, that I'm not as bad as him. You know, that's what we begin to do, especially as Western Christians. No, what it is is, hey, Zach, you and I, we're both in the same camp, aren't we? Because we're both in the same condition. We're both in the same condition in a self-destructive, ruined, separated life. And God's calling us to wholeness, to healing, to forgiveness, and to health. And he says, to do that, you just got to lift it up and let it go. Okay? So here's Daniel's model. I'll fly through this as fast as I can. A little bit of the Baptist snuck back into me as I was preparing this sermon, so I'm sorry, but all these things I like to alliterate. Sorry, Jamin. My apologies. Um, they, all, they, they all have the, the letter R in here. So the first one is we, we need to realize our rebel heart. Realize our rebel heart. I don't know who it was that came up with this idea. Oh, just follow your heart. And that is the biggest pile of hogwash that has ever been fed to us. But we're all doing it. Just follow the heart. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is sick. It's deceptive. It's ruined. Your heart's a mess. I know that because I got the same heart. It's a mess too. We need a new heart. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's part of what repentance is, is to give us a new heart. But before we can get a new heart, we first have to realize, man, I really need a new heart. So we have to understand the condition of our rebel heart. Our heart is constantly trying to talk us into things that we're not supposed to be doing. Holding attitudes that we should never hold. Saying things that should never cross our lips. So here's what Daniel says in verse 5. We have sinned. Okay, that comes right after the dot, dot, dot. Oh God, great and mighty and awesome God, faithful in your covenants, in your loving kindness, we have sinned. We have done what is wrong and wicked. We have rebelled by turning away from your commandments and standards. We have not paid attention to your servants, the prophets, who spoke by your authority to our kings, our leaders, our ancestors, and to all the inhabitants of the land as well. And that's just very simply the place where we begin to repent. Just go, man, God, this is my heart. It, it, it is a rebel heart. It, it wants to fight you. It wants to go against you. It, it's my worst enemy this heart okay but it's not enough just to realize that and stop there we have to new, move into the sex next thing and verses 7 through 10 help us to see that and here what we do is we receive God's humbling and that's not an easy thing to do to receive God's humbling remember Nebuchadnezzar that was not an easy process for him 70 years of captivity for Israel not an easy process for them as well but really what that is is God checking our stride Okay? To help us to not go further into the wayward, destructive way that we are tend to go or prone to go. And he's holding us back here. And Daniel says in verse 7, You are righteous, O God, 
And only God is righteous. None of us are. You are righteous, O God, but we are humiliated this day. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far away, and all the countries in which you have scattered them, because they have behaved unfaithfully toward you. O Lord, we have been humiliated. No, it's not Daniel saying, oh, it's all the rest of these guys. Look at this. I have to suffer in Babylon because I'm hanging around with a bunch of guys that don't know how to get their poop in a group. No, Daniel's saying, we. I I deserve this humiliation, Daniel's saying, along with everyone else. Oh, Lord, we have been humiliated, our kings, our leaders, our ancestors, because, here it is again, we have sinned against you. Yet, the Lord our God is compassionate and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Oh, man, let that one just sink in for a minute. This is Daniel showing us who God is. This is that great and awesome God that Daniel talks about throughout the entire book. That even though you and I have rebelled against God, we have sinned against God, yet God is compassionate and forgiving towards us. That's who he is. That's a God that says, no, I'm not delighting in your ruin here. I'm not somehow gleefully just going, you're getting what you deserve. God is, hey, I want you out of this. I want you back. I want you what the, the way it should be. If you want to know what the, what the whole Bible narrative is, it's just basically this. Creation, fall, redemption, return. There it is, the whole story of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, return. Now attach a couple of words to that. Redemption, or I'm sorry, creation was. Past tense, Was. When we read about creation, we see that relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. That's what it was. That's what it was meant to be. Maybe we ought to put the word ought. It's what it ought to look like. But then, then came the fall. And with the fall, it turned into is. Separation from God. This is mankind's condition. But then comes redemption, then comes Jesus to the cross, and the word that we attach to that is can. Because through Jesus at the cross, he tells us that we can change. That it doesn't have to be the constant is. And somehow we can return to the ought. And then when return happens and Jesus shows up, will. That's what we will be able to walk into and that's what god is calling out to each and every one of us daily on a regular basis come back to me come back to me you wandered away yeah, i know you go to church yeah i know you read your bible yeah i know you're a loving person and all those things but there are areas in your life where you are wandering away i'm just telling come back to me and let it be the way it can be and will be forever and ever Third thing we've got to do is recognize. Recognize the cause and effect of sin and calamity. You see, we, God doesn't just blanket our sin. God doesn't just ignore it. Oh, I'm so full of grace that I'm oh, never even thought. Never even thought. Like he's some kind of blind granddad up there. We can never do any wrong in his sight or something like that. You know, kind of like the relationship I have with the little girl that's waving at me right now, you know, kind of thing. She can do no wrong in my sight. But the reality is, she poos her diapers just like everybody else. Okay? 
And that's what we all do spiritually. We all poo our diapers. And God is saying there's a cause and effect that when that happens, it's not going to be pretty. So Daniel says in verse 11, all Israel has broken your law and turned away by not obeying you. You think Daniel's making a point here? Therefore, you have poured out on us the judgment solemnly threatened in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against you. He has carried out his threats against us and our rulers who were over us by bringing great calamity upon us. Would you say that we live in calamitous times? Is that even a word? I would say yes. No one gets up in the morning and walks out into life and for very long says, oh, what a beautiful day. I'm so glad that it will forever remain like this. No, it doesn't take very long at all when something ruins our day. And we turn on the evening news. We read Facebook. It doesn't take very long at all for us to realize that we live in a world full of calamity. Why does that calamity exist? Because we're sinners. Because you and I, we're messed up, we're broken. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ trying to do it on our own. We just make it worse rather than better. And Daniel says that we should recognize that. So he says in verse 13, Just as it is written in the law of the Moses, so all this calamity has come upon us. Still we have not tried to pacify the Lord our God by turning back from our sin and by seeking wisdom from your reliable moral standards. He says that we're, we're continuing in this calamity because we haven't fixed it yet. We haven't figured out that, that what you want us to do is just say, God, you're right. I was wrong. Here it is. Take it. Verse 14, the Lord was mindful of the calamity and he brought it on us. For the Lord our God was just in all that he has done. And we have not obeyed him. See, we can't lift the finger at God and say, well, you're just, you have too high standards, God. No, we can't do that because God is just in all that he's done and we have not been. And that's why life is the way it is for us. And we should recognize that. So Daniel says in verse 15, Now, O Lord our God, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with great power and made a name for yourself that is remembered to this day, we have sinned and act wickedly. See, he recognizes that God has the ability to save. God has the ability to rescue. He's done it before. And they've forgotten it. And that's why they're in the condition that they're in. And that's, that's the third step that we should be in, is to recognize I'm in the condition that I'm in because I've stepped out of God's way. I'm not wired to do that. As soon as, I, as soon as my feet hit the ground in the morning, they're ready to go the wrong direction. And that's not going to make life pretty. So then we get to the final thing, and if we don't do this one, because you know this is repentance halfway if we just stop right here, and repentance halfway doesn't do a thing. But here is full-on repentance according to the model of Daniel. We go with verse 16 of chapter 9, and we see Daniel requesting restoration. Now get this. Not for his sake, but for God's sake. That if we really want to be made right in God's sight, if we really want God to turn our life around, if we really want that change to happen, if we really want to redirect and go the way that we're, we're going so that we're lined up with the gospel, we're not doing that for our own benefit. We're doing that for the name of Jesus Christ, who did everything that it took to fix us in our brokenness. 
Verse 16, O Lord, according to your justice, please turn your raging anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For due to our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors, Jerusalem and your people are mocked by all our servants. Are you getting a little tired of Jesus being mocked in this world? Yeah, me too. Repent. See, we want to make it all about them being wrong. That's not right. They shouldn't mock us. Yeah, they should. Yeah, they should. Because Jesus said they would. So don't be surprised when that happens. If you're walking with me, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But if you're not walking with me, we deserve to have it happen. I know that's hard. But what are we doing to the reputation of Jesus Christ? When we just go our own way, la-di-da, everything's good, everything's fine. I'm okay, everybody's okay. No, we're not. Nobody's okay except Jesus. Verse 17, so now our Lord accept the prayer and request of your servant, show favor to your devastated sanctuary for your own sake. Listen attentively, God, and hear. Open your eyes and look on our desolated ruins in the city called by your name, for it is not because of our own righteousness or righteous deeds that we are praying to you, but because your compassion is abundant. And so here it is. Here's where repentance happens. Here's where we say to God, I'm going to pray loud, and I expect you to hear me on this. This is a, this is a demand that I'm going to make that I know you're going to meet because of your compassion and because you're going to protect your name's sake. Lord, take my sins. Take my brokenness, take my imperfections, and remove them, because I'm desolated. I'm desolated because of them. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Do you think he's being a little insistent in this prayer? I think so. Do you think he's being a little bit demanding in this prayer? I think so, and I think he should be, and I think we should be too. God is basically saying to us, Demand it from me. That's how much I want to give it to you. Demand my forgiveness in your repentance. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. Don't delay for your own sake. Oh, my God, for your city and your people who are called by your name. And then it's right on the heels of that that Gabriel shows up. Hey, Daniel, heard you praying, man. Heard you praying. God sent me. Because of your repentance, he says, I got something to tell you, buddy. It's the vision of 70 weeks. Now, being as Evan said I had to explain what concubines were a few sermons back, Evan has to explain how the 70 weeks works. But in verse 24, this was the message. 70 weeks or 77s or 70 periods of time, 70 whatever it takes to make it completely happen have been determined concerning your people and your holy city to put an end to rebellion. And that means a once and for all end to rebellion. To bring sin to completion, that means our sin is not going to happen anymore. To atone for iniquity, that means that once and for all it's all been paid for, taken care of. That happened at the cross to bring in perpetual righteousness. Because you and I, we, we do not walk in perpetual righteousness. It's off and on righteousness because of our waywardness. But there's going to come a time when it's going to be perpetual. It never ends. 
and to seal up the prophetic vision. That means everything that God has been promising, everything that God has been saying in the whole of the Bible, it's going to get sealed up, and he will anoint a most holy place where God will be our God and we will be his people. We will not need the sun or the moon to light our way because God himself will be in the midst of us as our light. That's the once and for all. So let me tell you why repentance rocks. I'll wrap it up with this. Repentance rocks because God receives the sacrifice of repentance. David teaches us how to repent in Psalm 51. The sacrifices God desires are a humble spirit. Oh God, a humble and repented heart you will not reject. You want a sure thing? You want a guarantee from God? You want to know that you can have an answered prayer? Give God a humble and a repentant heart. He does not reject that. He does not turn it away. He does not say to anyone, oh, look, you came with repentance. It's about time. Not, not good enough. He doesn't say that. He says, come back to me. Come back to me. Second reason that repentance rocks is because Isaiah 57, verses 15, tells us this. God dwells with the repentant sinner. God hangs out with the repentant sinner. That's who he wants to spend his time with. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place. See, I had to read that like God would or something. And also, now get that, God dwells in a high and holy place. We all get that, right? But here's the best part. But also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Why? To revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, that's, that's why God says, come to me in repentance. Because I see your spirit is wore down. I see that you're weary. I see that you're broken. I see your heart's hardly beating right now. Come to me. I'm here to revive that. Come back to me. And then the third reason is Isaiah 66 too. Interesting that the last chapter of the book of Isaiah, where that's all Isaiah did through the entire book was call for repentance, says this in verse 2, all these things, God speaking, all these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Now, take that in. This is the one to whom God says, I'm turning my face there. There's where my attention is. There's where I'm going to be. This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. When, when we're in repentance, we know that God is, is not rejecting anything that we're offering to him. We know that God wants to sit with us. He wants to hang with us. And, and, and God says, look, I'm looking right at you right now. No, nothing else has my attention. Just you. You've got it all. You've got it all because that's what I've wanted. That's what I've wanted for you since the beginning. And that's what I want for you for all of eternity. Never ending. So, how do we apply this? Okay? How do we apply this? Simple. 
We just tell God, God, you were right all along. And I give up. I give up. And do that every single day. Now here's the thing. Every single person should be able to right now say, God, here's something. Here's something. You were right. I was wrong. I give up. I give up. Every single one of us can do that. Because the Bible's pretty clear that if none of us, you know, if there's any of us that don't do that, then we are liars and we're making God into a liar. Because he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. Every single one of us. So I'm going to ask you to bow, if you would. Heads down. And I would just say this, if right now today there's something that you need to give up to God, confess. Offer it up. And I, I would say you can just simply do this, just raise a hand up. Say, God, here it is. Is there an attitude that you've been holding on to? And you're like, God, I don't want this anymore. Take this. Give it up. If there's a particular sin that's just been beating you up, give it up. Raise that hand up and say, God, here it is. This is what I have to offer to you. This is my sacrifice. This is my worship, God. I'm giving this to you. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm not going to give Jesus that. I might have this thing or this addiction or whatever it might be. I'm not going to give that to Jesus. Because maybe you don't think you earned it. Maybe you don't think you deserve that. But here's what Jesus is saying to you right now. If you're still holding that sin to yourself, if you're still holding that thing that he's saying, confess it to me, give it to me, he's saying to you, this is what I came for. This is why I came to the cross. For you to put your sins on me so that you don't have to carry them. My son, my daughter, my child, give it to me. Don't hang on to it. It's killing you. Let me do what I came to do. Take it for you. And he's faithful and just and awesome and great to do just that thing. Lord, here we are. None of us perfect. None of us have our act together. All of us make a, the place just a little bit worse rather than better in our own strength, in our own power. Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, like Daniel said, we have sinned, we have rebelled, we have walked away from you. That's not a big surprise. We all do it. God, we realize that the calamity of life has come upon us because of this. We realize, Lord, that this just leads to nothing but destruction and separation from you. But you planted a cross in the ground once and for all so that we can always return back to that cross and say, Lord, you were right. I was wrong. I give up. Here it is. Take it, Lord. And thank you, God, that you say, that's a sacrifice I am happy to receive. 
Lord, we can only do this because of the sacrifice that was made in our place through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So this is our sacrifice to you, God, the only one pleasing in your sight, your son, in our place. Taking our death so that we might have his life. Lord, receive. And as you receive, give. Give that life to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.